Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2, the show that has a different host and a different talking point every single week. I'm John Norman and on today's show you'll be able to hear the second part of Neil Manthorpe's interview with former South African and England bowling greats Alan Donald and Steve Harmison. But if you missed the show two weeks ago, here's the best bits from that episode. What moment comes to mind, Harmy, when I say, think of perhaps the first time or the most extreme joy and happiness where you felt you could almost not contain it, that better than drugs, you know, um, the, the first time you experienced, not that I know anything about drugs. When I look back at it now, it was like when you look at somebody naked and you don't want to look down, but there's Kenny, little Kenny from the West Country looking down at your boots as to say, what the <laughs> you got on your feet? They were terrible. <laughs> I just said, I've had enough of it. I've seen enough. This guy's 90 miles an hour. He makes it look easy. And he's just broken my leg. That was my worst recollection of you anyway. I asked <laughs> you about your... I asked you about your moments of total happiness, Alan, not your moments of complete despair. Uh, six hours still on the field at Brisbane after the first ball over there. That was a time where I, I could have done walk, walking off. I think it was I think it was a minute to 11 when the first ball was bowled. So come 11 o'clock, I think I was uh, I was wanting to leave the Ashes before it started. I don't know about Al, but I just think, is that really me? At the minute, I look at thinking, Christ almighty, I've eaten him. <laughs> it was massive. You know, the size I'm at compared to what, to what he is on that TV. When he said to me, come on then, old man, I thought, you know, that's probably my cue right now. That is absolutely my cue. I walked straight to Corey Pantel's office and I said, "Um, boss, I'm done. So if you did miss the first part of the interview or just wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acasts and Spotify. But here's the second part where Steve Harmison and Alan Donald begin by discussing aggression in fast bowling. There's, there's many times I've gone up to the captain and gone, 
Michael, I'm not sure where this is going, so I'm going to try and bowl as fast as I can. You might want to start putting fielders out on the boundary, i.e. third man, deep square leg, fine leg and deep point, because I've got no idea where it's going. It's just going to go fast. Um, I think that <laughs> happened once a week. I think that happened once a week, to be fair. I think losing it, I lost it once in a unit, playing against Durham University. I think it was Durham University, university game, believe it or not, against the students. It was pitch black. It was dark. There were nine down. End of the day. I'm thinking it's. It was about. It was about minus two in Durham. I don't even think it was in April. I think it was March. And um, I think Neil Mallander was the umpire, and he he offered the batsmen the the lights to go off. Numbers ten, number eleven. There's a kid from Kent, Rob Furley, was at the non-striker's end. Said, "No, no, we'll stay on." To which I've erupted. It's freezing. I've got. I can see a cup of tea with steam coming off it, just about where on the on the balcony, and I've gone. You, you what? I said. You what? You want to stay on? And he looked at me and he went, Yeah, yeah. We've we've never had a chance to ex, like experience anything like this. So it was the first time I'd bowl without a jumper on, or a long sleeve jumper on all day. Jumper came off. I bowled six bounces at this poor number ten, who I can't remember his name. While Furley stayed at the non-striker's end. To which we've gone and played, bowled another over, come back down. I've got fairly down my end. He looked at the umpire and asked for the light and walked off. I was seething. I was seething. So I must admit, a couple of pints and I'd controlled myself to get myself ready for the next morning. Um, losing it, I seen Shoyab Akhtar lose it once when I was, I was actually, I can't remember if I was captain or not. Believe it or not, me and Shoyab came to Durham and he was brilliant for the first year, but then after that, he was a nightmare. And there was one game against Yorkshire. We, we couldn't get Steve Kirby out. Craig White got 100, played really well. And Steve Kirby came in and he's battered and he's, he's got stuck in, to be fair. And I could see Shoeb losing it and losing it and losing it. And all of a sudden, I knew it was coming. Shoeb runs round the wicket and bowls him a beamer, to which Steve Kirby's now hit the deck. So he's bounced off the deck, bounced back up, his helmet's, his helmet's now on sideways, so his grill's going up his face. His gloves have come off. His bat's been thrown down, and him and Shoeb are coming towards each other in the middle of the crease. And I couldn't stop laughing. And I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, at, at no point in my career have I ever been in a position where I've gotten to a point where I've thought, as a bowler who can bowl 100 mile an hour, by the way, Shoeb Akhtar, I'm going to run around the wicket and bowl a beamer to number 11. And I thought, if I ever get to that point, I've got to retire. It was an absolute shocker. But you've got this Pakistani and Yorkshireman just going head to head, fired up to each other. And I was like, no, that's, that's, that's probably one of the worst. I've seen anybody lose it. And I was like, Shoaib, what are you doing? And he was like, well, I couldn't get him out. And I looked at him and I said, Shoaib, you did that on purpose, didn't you? And he just, he just grinned. And I thought... No, please tell me I could. Please tell me as a fast bowler, I could never, ever do that. So there's losing it in a controlled way, like Alan Donald did against the great Raul Dravid. But there's also losing it in a stupid way, like a witness show back that I did against Steve Kirby, who was number 11 for Yorkshire. So you, you're used to seeing the fear, or you were, uh, in the eyes of, of batsmen, not all of them. Um, and sometimes it would, uh, it would be... Um, heightened anticipation rather than fear i suppose um you you would have you would have i, I guess you you could both sense that I, I guess you you knew when a batsman was uh, extremely uncomfortable did you ever experience it 
Um, what's the fastest spell you ever faced, Alan? Uh, Brett Lee, um, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, luckily, I've not faced too much of show back to, but, um, but Brett Lee for me was, wow. That was a 2000 series, 2000 and, 2000 and 2001 series, Boxing Day Test Match, Melbourne, walking out. And um, I could tell by the slip cordon where Ricky Ponting was standing just inside the 30-yard circle and, and Warney just giving it the old, you're going to see what real pace is about now, son, because you're done. And, uh, and to, be fun, to, be, to be fair, it was a series that I probably, uh, Harmy said he was talking about retirement earlier on, and, and I thought that I reckon I went one series too far. Definitely, because because the coaches asked me to come on that trip and play these six test matches against uh, Australia. Uh, um, Graham Ford thought it was a, you know, I've still got a bit in me to, to prove that we can mix it with him. But my word, I took my guard and I saw Brettley in the distance. And um, fairly gloomy sort of late afternoon. And um, it's a second new ball. So there's nothing more frightening than walking in when you see some of these guys standing at the back of their mark and they've got the second new pill in their hand and um, you, you look around and you see where Gilchrist is standing and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. First of all, he tried to yoke me. That, that was 156. And uh, managed to get my, my feet and just to bat down in time. The next one, it was a, it was a great bouncer because everyone, Gary Kirsten used to say that the, the hardest guy to face in their team is Brett Lee because his bounce is so skiddy. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really sort of loop or get steep quickly. It sort of skids and comes at you. And uh, I just turned my head like this and I was get, getting ready to take one. And, and it missed me and I followed it through and Warren just had his hands on his head there and gone, how did that miss? How did that miss? And um, that was 158.7. 158 on the big screen at the MCG, 158.7. I thought, my goodness me, here it is. This is now the new generation quicks that are just juicing it up to another level. And thank God he got me out last ball of the over, caught punting. And as the ball was in the air, I was already off. So uh, uh, <laughs> frightening pace. I mean, he was absolutely one of the most, I think one of the most aggressive fast bowler that, 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 just absolutely wanted to destroy tail enders. Got it. That is outstanding bowling. Outstanding bowling from Brett Lee. Ball in. He's brilliant when it comes to these full straight deliveries, Brett Lee. Ball him again. Full and straight again, Brett Lee. He had it done. We saw that incident where he hit um, Mackay and Teeny straight between the eyes. Right off the helmet. And he hasn't even blinked. Yes, um, he said, I'm fine, don't worry. You know, there was another uh, one I can't remember um, that uh, in that side of 97, 98 tour of, of Australia uh, that he hit uh, seriously hard coming around the wicket. Um, so he's, he's very, he was very, very deliberate in wanting to show that Taylor Enders ain't going to hang around here. This is, ain't, this is not going to be, you're not, you're not going to make runs here easy. So you can either be backing away, show me your stumps, 
or you're going to get hurt. So, no, he was, he was, he was seriously quick. Hami, do you reckon you would have been able to frighten yourself? And, and if not, who did frighten you? No, I'd, fright, I'd frighten me. Paul Collingwood at 45 mile an hour frightened me sometimes in the nets. <laughs> um, no, I was, I was always to the, I was worked the theory. I was there for a good time and not a long time when it came to my batting. So I, I would say I was quite brave, but not stupid. Uh, and you're talking about Brett Lee. Brett Lee was, for me, was the, was the, was the quickest. I once faced Wazim Akram at Durham when he played for Lancashire and he came round the wicket and I actually thought I was having a net because two days before when he came out to bat, David Boone said that, you know, you've got to try and give him a bit of a few rib ticklers and you've got to try and hurt him. Waz. So I did him a few times. So I knew it was coming back my way. It was only about 18, 19 at the time. And I actually thought I was having a net because when I, I looked down and I looked forward, I was thinking, well, there's nobody on the offside and there's nobody on the leg side, and I actually can't see the bowler, because Wes was coming from around the wicket, as he did. And I was thinking, I was thinking, he's coming, because everybody's getting ready. And I was just waiting, and he just like jumped out, the, out from behind the umpire. And it was like, a, it was like playing hide-and-seek with your kids. It's like, cooey! And he just jumps out. <laughs> this thing went past my ear. And then I realised, when I turned around, where every fielder was. The fielder, short leg was on, on square, Everybody was behind square. But no, Brett Lee, I walked in after Alex Tudor got hit. When Alex Tudor got hit in the face. Oh, that's going a nasty one. That's nasty. Through the helmet. And he's in a bad way, unfortunately. They ducked right into that, Alex Tudor. Downwind. Fastest nasty. pitch in 25 years at, at Perth. In Australia, hadn't picked him for the first two test match. Picked Andy Bickle. So, yeah, they've basically been feeding Brett Lee on red meat for, for, for three weeks before that Perth test match. And I got the best bit of advice while batting ever. Like you say, Al, you turn around, Gilchrist's like 40 yards away. Warren has to come 10 yards further up just to sledge you and then go back. Before <laughs> you, before you, but Darren Lehman's, Darren Lehman's at short leg. We need two to nod to make Australia bat again. I can see sawdust and blood in front of me when I'm looking down. Brett Lee is a long way away. And Darren Lehman, instead of sledging, he went, Harmony, no good for heroes here. Just back away and let him hit the stumps. And I think third ball, I did exactly that. Off stump went cartwheeling. And boy, I was thankful. I'll tell you what. But again, another he's a champion. Brett Lee, you could give it, you could give it to him. 2005. But Edge Baston gave me on about Al. He's like a voodoo yeah. dog. Ian Flintoff hit him in so many places. I think he ran four singles on that Sunday morning without his cricket bat after being hit and ran to the end. You know, you talk about Brett Lee being able to give it. He, he could take it as well. He could take it as well. And he took it in the right way. So, you know, fair play to him. I didn't enjoy getting it off him, but I, I enjoyed giving it back. Still to come on the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2, the guys discuss their cricketing memorabilia, how players of the past would be successful in T20 cricket. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 and the second part of Neil Manthorpe's interview with South African greats Alan Donald and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. In this part of the show, they discuss their favourite memorabilia and just how players of past eras could have been successful in modern-day T20 cricket. 
we're coming towards the end now. Two questions in one here, just to uh, uh, just just quick ones. Um, if if uh, in a different era, if you'd been um, if you'd been at the height of your careers, at the height of T20 cricket, how would you have gone? Would you have needed more tricks? Um, uh, would, would you have? Do you regret it? Money aside, do you do you regret that you didn't get the chance to uh, to play Indian Premier League or that sort of thing? And also, what's your favourite piece of memorabilia in your bar? Um, I would say, yeah, I, it's a pity that I, I think I played two 2020 games uh, um, uh, for the new, the, well, the newly franchised back in the day. Uh, so that was my recollection of it. Not so. I just think that uh, yes, um, you do need a few tricks. I think raw pace is is what wins games in in 2020 matches. Absolutely. Oh, Adam Milne. Take a bow. We saw it last year when Adam Milne and, and Big Hardest for Yoon bowling at 90 miles an hour plus, and, and, and it's it's priceless what those guys can do, um, you know, because um, it's just a different it's just a different league what raw pace brings in that format. Um, but you also need to be very flexible in terms of what you how you um, set your set of six up, you know. So. It's a it's a very strategic game these days, and how how you control the scoreboard. Um, yes, my job is to go and strike, but also be very very smart. So um, I, I think you know it would have been fun. The Brett Lee played a long time in the IPL, and um, it's a shame we couldn't have seen a guy like Shoaib Akhtar uh, maybe play the, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 IPL when 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 it first came on scene. Um, but for me, yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's a boat that's gone long. It's gone a long time for me. So, but being part of it now and living in the modern day game and and, and being involved in 2020 teams is is a fascinating learning world and how how players evolve every single time these these competitions in these leagues are played. Um, just make them better players. You know, so it's a and where batting has gone now, batting has just gone stupidly through the roof in terms of skill. Down the wicket, beautiful shot from Brad Coley. Clears the rope. And there it is. His 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Oh, AB de Villiers, new bat, 364. De Villiers goes again, and what a way to get to 50 for Mr. 360. AB, AB, stop it. AB de Villiers have shown that. Coley's shown that. Um, Chris Gale has made a living out of it. So, um, yeah, the answer to your second get, uh, question is, what's my best uh, uh, piece of memorabilia in my bar? I would say um, I've got a few Springbok jerseys. <laughs> um, but the one thing is um, my not only my Test cap, but also my Warwickshire cap. Um, I think that... Uh, and and. And to be very blessed to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, that 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 cap will will be um, definitely a, a, plays a significant part in my collection and my bar. 
I loved Nana's. I loved playing the 2020. I, I didn't have a bad record playing it domestically at Durham. I loved the challenge of it. I love when you went out there. I love when somebody came at me. I thought it was brilliant. You know, when somebody was just trying to survive and hanging around, I didn't feel as though that was so much of a challenge. When somebody came at me, I felt somebody was going to start pulling me or somebody was, you know, those. I remember the first time I played against KP and you know, you're playing big players, proper players, you know, that, that are going to come out and have a go at you, test that, you know, show them right, I can bowl quickly, not bothered, I'm going to come at you. That's when I felt as though my juices flowed and get going. And I think 2020 did that. I think to answer your question, I think it goes from eras and generations and you, you try and comp- people try and compare. I don't like that. On Was he better than him? But what I would say is, if I had played 2020, yes, I would have had more tricks because that's what great players would have evolved in every single era they would have played. So a boycott who got 8,000 runs playing test match cricket who blocked it, I can imagine him still being a very, very good one day and potentially 2020 cricketer because the mindset and the gene of that person would go out and show you know, what a great player he is. So I still think we would have adapted, we would have got better and we would have evolved and we we probably we would have we would have survived in in that time. Memorabilia, I got quite a few cricket things. You mentioned Al about cricket like hats and you know shirts, but my favourite bit is I'm a massive Newcastle United fan. I couldn't get, <laughs> I couldn't get off the wall. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get I couldn't get off the wall, but I'd, I'd love to show you it. Um, I got a shirt when I got seven for twelve. I trained for eight weeks in the in. And a guy who I looked up to so much, and he gave me so so much because he let me train there, was Sir Bobby Robson. And if you're watching at the minute Netflix, watch watch the Sir Bobby Robson story. You'll be laughing and crying at the same time. I had eight weeks. This guy gave me up the doors and let me train. And he sent me a shirt signed by all the lads. And the best bit about the shirt at the bottom, it's got Unique Army, Bobby Robson. I'd like to show you it. I'll see if I can show you it. It's, it's there. Oh, wow. Yeah, we can see that. Um, unfortunately, the listeners won't be able to, but <laughs> we, we can confirm it's there on your wall. It is there, and that man gave me a hell of a lot to start my career and help me. So whenever I felt down, I'd look at that shirt and see that man help me, and I felt as though he was always with me. Um, and that's my best memorabilia, because it was signed by my heroes to help me train. But that little bit at the bottom, by Sir Bobby Robson, made give me so much inspiration throughout my whole career because that was from 2004. Special, very special. Coming up next on the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2, the guys discuss the current state of the game and whether they think a resumption of the sport will happen anytime soon and how. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 and the second part of Neil Manthorpe's interview with South African great Alan Donald and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. With all the cricket around the world currently on hold, the guys discuss whether the sport will resume anytime soon. I think uh, for us it's a little bit different than, than in the UK because we've now got the six-month break where um, we all just planning for the new summer. Um, we're on regular Zoom meetings. Um, uh, we had a, a team meeting this morning um, um, and just, uh, you know, touching base with all the players. Um, we've got uh, also uh, 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 psychologists um, staying in touch with all the players uh, and also these kind of meetings that they're having with them one-on-one. I just think that um, it is it is what it is. And, and if it takes us six months, if it takes us longer, I don't know. It, it, it's frustrating, but right now this this monster of a virus is, is bigger than any of us right now. It doesn't matter if you're a sports star or coaches. It, it really doesn't matter. So um, I, I also heard from our CEO um, this afternoon that um, um, when this goes into level three uh, of lockdown, that uh, this will remain for a, cons- a considerable time, uh, the level three. Uh, but cricket will be allowed to open Cricket will be allowed to be played in September or late September when our season kicks off. Um, obviously, in front of zero crowds, but we we uh, we have zero crowds anyway. So, um, um, so look, it's 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 a uh, it's a uh, not in a million years would I ever have thought, and I'm, and I'm sure many many millions of people are saying the same thing that we'd be sitting here today, um, and and we're facing this incredible pandemic that's um that we got to deal with um so uh, i don't know for me it's i'm, I'm gonna sit tight and and wait for this 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 uh, uh thing to go over and and then and let's see how, how we roll on from there but uh, i think in, in the uk it's a little bit different now for for all the cricketers and um uh, spoke to joe dangley yesterday and, and he said it's the most frustrating time in his life you know they, they they can't wait to get cracking they're waiting for news they're waiting for some positive news to come out but um 
you know, uh, who knows? Uh, English season might not happen. Yeah, it's it is. I, I don't expect the English season to happen. If I'm if I'm brutally honest, when it comes to talk about playing behind closed doors, we do. I me my role now, you know, doing working in the media, do a lot and talk sport on the breakfast show. A lot of that, ninety nine percent of that stuff is about football, and all people want to talk about is. You know, England. I mean, Liverpool not winning, winning the being given the, the Premiership title. And I think over the course of the last sort of two months since this has been going on and been 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 a, um, a huge global thing, is that my mind's changed so many times. Do we finish the season from a football point of view? Do we null and void it? Do we wait give Liverpool a championship? And I think what I'm, why I'm talking about it on a cricket program is that is because I think there's. It's gone on that long where you have individuals have changed their mind because, first of all, you're thinking, well, it might not be that much. We might have two or three weeks off and we get back to where we were. We might now then be thinking, potentially, we're not playing till September. So what's the point having something that's been um, lingering for a long, long time? Let's just start again and find some way of, of going on. So I think the best thing, I believe, is for it to get it to a point where we are safe to walk the streets again. It is safe to, to get on with life as we, as we once, once knew it. Um, and I think the world will be a better place for it. I don't expect to be in cricket um, this summer. The 100 will be cancelled. The 100 been cancelled until 2021. So I personally, when they're talking about playing test matches in one day at the same time, I don't think that's, that's going to work. You know, we're looking at a TV and you know, from an insurance and from financial point of view, that is something the ECB has to, to look at. I just, I just, for me, I just don't think it's going to be, it's going to be safe to go. So I personally think we'll get to end of September. Everything starts becoming normal again. And I would like to England, I would like the ECB to explore potentially playing English cricket overseas. And if that means going to the UAE and playing in Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, Dubai, having a, 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 what Al would remember, an old style Benson Hedges tournament from a, a, a county cricket point of view where you're in, you're in three conferences of, of, of six, you play five first-class matches um, and you play a semi-final and a final over five days and, and try and get a county championship winner that way and then at least you're getting some, some first-class cricket into it, at least you're getting some employment into young people um, and you're not having to wait another 12 months for, for the cricket to start. So that's all ifs and buts and maybes at this moment in time. Um, I would like to think everything is open for discussion um, and nothing gets closed um, and everybody gets safe and well. And once people get safe and well and then want to get back out there and we can live our lives normal again, or as normal as we possibly can again, then sport is there to give people a little bit of a boost and a feel-good factor coming out of it. But I think a lot of speculation is good, but there's a hell of a lot of speculation, especially in football, but in all sports, is, uh, is, it could be to a detrimental effect. So we need to uh, think out the box, Alan. Um, those of us who uh, need to stay at home and, and uh, just stay out of the way and keep the pressure off the, off the medical services will do, but, um, but those who, who can make a difference by playing sport uh, do, you, do you think that, that efforts should be made without compromising safety, obviously? Yeah, we're hearing that golf, 
golf, uh, you know, uh, is going to go ahead. I think in, in the, the PGA Tour will open um, quite soon. Um, I think that um, um, there's a there's a big push from golf RSA to open courses slowly here in in in, in the Western Cape. Never mind South Africa, around South Africa. Uh, um, so how they control it? I think they had that meeting this morning. Um, I think wow, you know, would people just love to see some live sport right now? I mean. <laughs> It's it's so I've seen so many old football games here and I watched one of the Newcastle games the other night. <laughs> uh, just uh, thought, well, I'll get ninety minutes of this, hello. Um, and then look, it's 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 just um, it would it would mean it would be such a confidence booster for everyone, for everyone, just to see a game of cricket somewhere, uh, a football match going on, even if it's televised live. Uh, rugby is different. I, I can't see it working that way because it's a full-on contact sport. Um, but um, no, behind closed doors, a football game. Will the? I, I, I think you'll know more harmony. I, I think the, the football has been put back till August. Is that right? Um, yeah, July. Or, there's, or talk, just... there's talk about playing football on June the eighth in this All country. Right. June the eighth. So I think that's optimistic. But it, it works. It probably works at Premier League level. Lower leagues down, I think, would struggle. But Premier League level, they could do without the, the, the finances. So you can just, you, everybody in the world can see it. Millions of people can see it. I'm intrigued whether you can play cricket. Uh, I'm intrigued whether you could possibly play cricket because you're not contact, as long as you don't high-five anybody when you, you, you're taking the emotion out of the game a little bit. And it's whether you have the saliva on the ball. That's the biggest, it, yeah. that's the biggest issue, it seems. It doesn't seem as though can we get out there. It's how we're going to look after the cricket ball. That seems to be the biggest topic of discussion um, in stopping saliva onto the ball. Because the rest of it, you, you could argue, you know, social distancing is, um, it, it, it is happening anywhere unless you were like someone like me who used to go wandering at fine leg and third man and end up talking to people and you know, it was a nightmare. But I think, I think it could work in the game of cricket. But how you get that and then transport into the public domain and then sell it and then get it onto TV is something, you know, is up for discussion. But I do certainly feel cricket, golf, and something like cricket would be some, some well, they're, they're, they're sports that I think could get up and running fairly soon. But could it happen in England? The time frame, the time scale, it's running out. Can we play in October? All these questions, I just think we might get left behind a little bit. You wouldn't mind as fast bowlers if the umpire gave you a tub of Vaseline to use on the ball, would you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I've been reading up about these uh, ball tampering issues these days um, and having it legalised. I'm a massive fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, not, not in the sense of, um, you know, getting it out there and biting the ball and scratching it and all sorts of stuff. Uh, um, but... Um, but yeah, interesting topic actually. Very interesting topic, and I think that I said I think 2008. I, I, I some report in England uh, cornered me and say, "What well, would you legalize ball tampering?" And I said, "Yeah, I wouldn't mind if it's a very if it's done in a very much a controlled environment. Um, it could work." And of course, Michael Atherton and that's saying jumped down my throat and uh, just said, "It's the stupidest idea they've ever heard." So that's just coming <laughs> from batters. Um, so the balance between the balance between bat and ball is sometimes incredibly um, one-sided, and uh, there's always that discussion is always going to be up for 
um, for, for as long as we are around. <laughs> so, but I can't see that. Not in this era with this coronavirus, and it, it just can't. It just can't. It just cannot work. Um, tell you what. With, uh, I t- tell you what, Al. I think uh, we, what we should do is uh, reconvene in a couple of weeks' time with a couple of batsmen, and uh, I'll just kick <laughs> you off. And then you you can discuss the the merits of uh, of vaselining the ball and uh, and and, <laughs> and and being able to uh, to pick the seam and, and we'll get to see what the batsmen have got to say about it. But Trez used to stand up first slip. We used Trez, we just give Trez a bag of sweets. There you go, Trez. There's the ball. There's a bag of sweets. And it would come back pristine and swinging round corners. We were happy days, us lot. We found something <laughs> like a china ball and somewhere like, like sweets. It was perfect. <laughs> Two of uh, the great fast bowlers of all time, as I said at the beginning. Also, two of my favourite people uh, throughout the course of, uh, of the last couple of decades, Steve Harmison and Alan Donald. Thank you so much for your time, gents. Stay safe, stay well, and, um, and, uh, and, and thank you very much indeed for the chat. Cheers, manners. Cheers, Thanks, Al. Manners. Cheers, cheers, Harmony. Great to see you, pal. Looking good. Stay safe, stay well, everybody. Best wish to everybody. Cheers. Look forward to catching up too. Cheers, lads. Now, thanks to Alan Donald and Steve Harmison for the last 40 minutes or so. Remember, if you missed any of this interview or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. Coming up next, though, on the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2, we discuss the latest cricket stories, including news about a brand new T10 tournament getting underway in the Caribbean this week. And we find out a little bit more how the postponement has affected grassroots cricket. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I'm John Norman, and uh, such is the manner of this show. Random voices and names appear every week and uh, in every show. Jarrah Kimber is alongside me for the last section of the programme. Uh, brilliant chat between Neil Manthorpe, Alan Donald and Steve Harmison. Hopefully uh, this will be a brilliant chat as well. But uh, looking ahead to the world of cricket, it does seem, Jared, that uh, people... Uh, almost come into terms of the fact that cricket can come back, will come back, despite in front of uh, empty stadiums. Uh, but, you know, it's not going to be quite as simple as that, is it? Do you know what? There was an American sports writer, and I've forgotten his name, but he wrote an article, um, I think, in The Nation, uh, not that long back, where he basically said, uh, so many people in sports are talking about when it's going to come back, how it's going to come back. Very few are writing about the fact of if it should come back. Uh, I've worked in two major industries in my life, travel and sport, and they've both been hit incredibly hard by this. Um, so I know how many people are struggling and, you know, we're struggling. And I've got friends, you know, obviously even in much worse situations than me at the moment. But my, my biggest question at the moment is, does cricket have to come back? Um, and does sport have to come back right at the moment? And, and I'm not sure that we're quite at a level where we should be pushing for it. But I suppose the next part of it is then what are the logistics of it? And there are so many little things like international sport when international travel is almost you know impossible. I just don't see why um, all these – put it this way. In the Caribbean, you basically have no one who's been infected. Do those guys really want to come to the UK where 30,000 people have died? I, I'm not sure I would want that. No, absolutely. I, I think if and if you take away the mor- morality of the situation where you're still having uh, 200, 300 people die every day and we're talking about putting on cricket uh, and just focus on the logistics. Um, Ali Martin in The Guardian writing that the ECB are 
going to have to stump up half a million pounds just to charter all of those uh, West Indies players from their seven different islands that they hail from and then get them over to the UK, put them in a hotel for two weeks before they can even start training. Um, it's reaching fast core levels. But I suppose if you're faced with a £400 million black hole at the end of the year, if you don't get any cricket on, then you know that kind of sharpens the focus somewhat. What I still can't get my head around is, though, what happens if someone comes down, a player that is, with coronavirus? Because surely the guidelines for Joe Bloggs uh, on the street, i.e. if you get it, you and everyone around you needs to uh, bunker down for 14 days, surely the same rules will apply for the cricketers? Yeah, I mean, in, in I suppose the most obvious thing is we'll have coronavirus uh, concussion substitute type situation, which makes sense. But realistically, once someone has it, then everyone around them also, has, uh, you know, is in danger. And then the other team's in danger. And then the security guards and the chefs and everyone in the facility then is in danger of catching it, which is how these things, uh, you know, how it's basically spreading in the first place, isn't it? So for me, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then you've got, you come back to the cricket side of things again. Okay, so someone has it, but they have it, they get caught on day two at lunch what do we do uh, we still don't have adequate testing to get people tested correctly so we could actually have uh, you know late late positives on things and a test match is not like a basketball game or a golf tournament you can't just stop it in the middle and then come back for you know two weeks later and play it again once it stops the pitch is gone we have to stop okay so let's look at say four very different tournaments how difficult or how likely do you think the following four tournaments are to take place? So international cricket involving England uh, this summer, county championship or T20 cricket, the IPL and the World T20 is for. OK, uh, World T20 won't go on this year. I think that any in, any event that involves major uh, tra- people travelling from a vast amount of places to come and play it, uh, I just don't think is even close to being feasible. So I'd say that one's gone. Um, domestic stuff, so if you talk about the T20 and the county cricket, that's what I would be focusing on. I'd be focusing on some sort of mega domestic tournament where I, I can control some, some of the things, so the flights and, and who has to travel in. That's where I'd be focusing on if I was um, uh, running cricket. Now, I understand that that's not where the money is massively, but at the same time, if it's one of the few sporting events on TV, I still think that will make money. International there's two sides of it. I don't think, I really don't think that the West Indies or Pakistan are going to come over. I just don't think that's going to happen. Having said that, I also know the desperation that these smaller boards have to please the ECB, to stay in their good books. I'd be shocked if they can't find a team to come over and play. But there's also, quite weirdly, and hasn't been talked about as enough, um, there is also, you know, um, uh, easier places to travel from, you know, Scotland, Ireland, um, even the Dutch team, all they also could be involved. So there might be some form of international cricket. I'm not sure it's going to be the West Indies or Pakistan, though. And what about the IPL? Because if we're talking about financial matters, it doesn't come much bigger than the Indian Premier League. Some talk in the last couple of days that the World T20 will not happen in October, November, but the IPL will. But of course... Um, more likely that it would just involve Indian players. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think it, it's funny. That it has, there seems to be this like massive kickback against the IPL at the moment with everyone going, oh, look, they're trying to take over the World T20s slots. And do you know what? From a, from a purely logistics point of view, it makes a lot more sense for the IPL to go ahead than it does for the World T20. I, just, I cannot see how the World T20 can be played. 
I think domestic leagues um, where you can, you know, pick, you know, two or three um, centres within India, not bring in all the international people, I, I think that makes sense. It'd be very interesting if the IPL goes ahead and is incredibly successful without any foreign, um, uh, you know, uh, coaches and players and commentators. But at the moment, I think that that makes the most sense. So I, as I said, whether it comes to county or um T20 in the UK or even the IPL. Any of those tournaments make a lot more sense to me right now than international sport does. I tell you what, there is some cricket taking place. It's going to start this week in St. Vincent and Grenadine, which I think is the country where I refused to uh, um, fly unless they got me a beer when we were flying between Antigua and St. Lucia. I think it was there. You jumped Uh, off the plane. You forced a flight attendant, (laughs) I think against international rules, against airport rules, to go off and get you a drink. No, no, no. No, uh, international laws. International laws, <laughs> correct. And then you came back onto the plane with two beers, and Harmy's never had any. He's never respected you more than he did in that moment. <laughs> well, look, uh, Barry Wilkinson, who thankfully wasn't on the plane, um, has got a little bit more information about the St. Vincent Premier T10 League. Well, the Vinci Premier T10 League is being hosted by the St. Vincent and the Grenadines Cricket Association and will be played at the Arnesville Sporting Complex in St. Vincent. The VPL T10 will feature 72 players divided as 12 members into each of the six teams and the competition will take place from this Friday until May 31st. It's about nine days of cricket. The summit, of course, will be the big clash scheduled for 8.30 Uh, PM, which is the international standard time on each day. Uh, The big names in the tournament, Keswick Williams, leading T20 bowler for uh, 2018-2019. He's from St. Vincent and he's playing. Uh, Sinal Ambris, who opens the batting for the West Indies in ODIs, is also playing in Obey McCoy. And all of these players are from the Wimbledon Islands or from St. Vincent because of COVID-19. There's not any inter-regional travel and that's why there are no other um, international regional players uh, that will be going to St. Vincent to play. The teams, Botanic Garden Rangers, Dark View Explorers, Fort Charles, Fort Charlotte Strikers, uh, Grenadine Divers, uh, La Souffrire Hikers, Salt Pond Breakers are the names of the team. And the teams are actually named after some very popular places in St. Vincent. So it's, it's a very good opportunity to watch some cricket again in the Caribbean and also around the world. It's the only active tournament that will be played. And Dr. Kishore Shallow, who is the Vice President of Cricket West Indies, is also the President of the, this association. And he's been very instrumental in getting this league off the ground. So everyone is looking forward to it, looking forward to watching some competitive sports again live. We've all been watching past matches for the last two months. So COVID-19 is still around, but I think this is a sign that uh, the protocols are now being observed much more and the confidence is being shown to get cricket going on in the West Indies again. We're all looking forward to it. Well, from the Vinci Premier T10 League... Uh, to grassroots cricket in the UK. Uh, Time to speak to David Smith from the Institute of Cricket. You're listening to Breaking Boundaries, thanks to the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. Well, I'm pleased to say that joining us on the show, on the Cricket Collective, uh, is David Smith from the Institute of Cricket, just to look at the impact that, um, uh, well, I suppose the coronavirus is continuing to have on grassroots cricket. It's still some way off, David, before we're going to actually be able to talk about club cricket. But where are we 
today as opposed to where we were the last time we spoke in regard to the government guidelines, which uh, seem to be changing every week or so. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Look, it was a it was a positive development, I think, that came out from the ECB on Friday. They put, you know, a very strict process in place for clubs to to begin returning to outdoor net facilities. And, you know, although those guidelines would have created a number of issues and a number of things for committee members to be discussing, you know, I do think that it was a positive step in the right direction for clubs to be able to come back and start using their nets. Look, we're, we're going to have to work. Every industry is going to have to work to very strict guidelines for the foreseeable future. So, yes, they were strict. And, yes, a number of clubs probably cannot, you know, deliver those guidelines that the ECB has set out at the moment. But hopefully a number can. And, you know, I think it's positive that we can start getting players back into the nets, whether that's, you know, through one-to-one coaching or whether that's, you know, just back in the, in the nets with their parents and, and trying to uh, get the love back of cricket again, you know. How does the social distancing rules affect, affect that, though? I mean, in terms of, you know, mums or dads dropping kids off, uh, kids yeah. turning up, uh, the coaches in place, you know, do you have to have, if you've got three nets, do you have to keep the middle one vacant? I mean, what kind of, you know, day-to-day logistical headaches are you coming up against? So, yeah, look, as I said, the, the, the guidelines are very strict. If you've got a two-net facility, that means you can only use one. If you have a four-net facility, then you can obviously use two. You must keep a gap in between the nets so that social distancing measures can apply. The, if every club has had to set up an online booking system, which avoids players' parents just turning up at the nets without any booking in place. There's also very strict guidelines on hand sanitisation. So, you know, and all, all of the players will have had those guidelines that have been emailed to them prior to attending the sessions. You know, it's just trying, it's trying to work with a new normal, clearly. You know, we're, we're not able to have large group sessions at the moment, but I think the return of one-to-ones is, you know, is positive in the same way that, you know, people are returning to their golf courses and fishing. And, you know, I, I do believe that one-to-one training is something that can be done socially distanced. So, you know, the rules that the ECB has sent out are strict, but they should be strict at the moment. Hopefully we, we see an easing of those over the coming weeks and months. But as I say, it's, it's, very, it's a very positive step in the right direction that at least we can continue to get back into, you know, some form of cricket. And just in general, you know, with, with the way that things are going, do you think that there will be any, you know, proper cricket played this year? Or do you think more likely it will be net sessions and, uh, you know, uh, no saliva and, and those sorts of things going on? Yeah, I, I, I've tried to remain positive throughout this whole process and, you know, continue to, to think we might have some cricket. I just, at this, po- at this moment in time, I can't see it. I just don't know how you know, measures are going to be eased enough to have to have cricket matches taking place and, and larger group sessions. Look, I, I will be the most positive person around and really hope that that changes. By the middle of July, you know, start of August, we may be able to get some, some club cricket in. I can't see any league cricket taking place in a, in a structured competitive format. What I could see taking place is some friendly matches just to get people back using the ground. But, you know, the, the actual processes of, of that actually taking place I'm, I'm unsure at the moment but obviously I've seen that the the, uh, the ECB or the, the governing body are bringing in you know no use of saliva on the cricket ball I think going forwards as well which is obviously something we're going to have to implement for a while I mean a lot has been mentioned about the fact uh, that cricket balls aren't going to be allowed to have saliva on them but what about in terms of um, 
well, sharing kit, you know, in terms of sharing cricket bats or pads or gloves. Is there any directions surrounding that? Yeah, so our guidelines from a complete cricket institute of cricket perspective are very clear. We're, we're having no sharing of any equipment at all. And we've also told all of our players and parents that the, there'll be no access to any in, indoor facilities such as toilet, toilet facilities or hand washing. So, you know, we must try and keep any contact as, as minimal as possible at the moment. Like I say, these are very, you know, they are strict rules, but if we want to come back into playing some form of cricket, we're going to have to follow those guidelines. And, you know, we've followed, you know, all the processes, put everything in place now to, to be able to relaunch our sessions from tomorrow, the uh, 20th of May. What about brothers or sisters, though? Can can they share kit? It makes things a little bit pricey if uh, you know mum or dad have to shell out all of this uh, this money for you know if they've got two or three children that want to play cricket. Yeah, look, I think we've got to use our common sense in these these times as well, you know. And obviously, every family will have to make their own financial decisions. But you know, most of the most of the players that we work with will have their own kit. I think members of their own household can can share share kit. You know, that's that's part of the ECB uh, directives. We are only running one-to-one sessions, so that's all that we're doing from a, a business perspective at the moment. We're only we're only allowing one-to-one sessions to take place in our facilities that we're using. So um, we're we're not following. You know, we're, we're not sort of taking any any further bookings apart from one-to-ones as it stands. Um, and before I let you go, David, uh, you know, what more are you hoping to hear in terms of guidelines over the next couple of weeks from the government or the ECB? Look, clearly, like everybody, it'd be nice to have some, firstly, some view of when the international season might take place or the county season. You know, I think that would really lift everybody's spirits, even if it's cricket play behind behind closed doors. But from a recreational perspective, it would be really nice to have some sort of time frame, some, some clear guidelines. I know that there's no cricket at the moment until the 1st of July, but what, what does the future look like after that? You know, will, will league season start? Will, will, you know, will any cricket start? And, and how will group coaching... And, and club sessions begin to get back to, uh, be, you know, get back to normal. You know, those are the questions that I'm really looking to uh, try and get some answers to over the next few weeks. So he's been pretty positive the last couple of times we spoke to him, isn't he, Jared uh, David Smith? But it's looking very, very bleak now for uh, cricket at pretty much every level in the UK, apart from potentially um, the England team. Yeah, I'm not sure how if you don't have hundreds of millions of dollars or the you know to be able to access them, how you're going to play any kind of league. The kind of friendly thing that he was talking about, that's what I thought about. Uh, you know, later in the in the summer, I could see you know a bunch of sort of uh, random cricket games being put together, but not any kind of league. But that's why I thought I'd ask him because you know th- it, those sorts of people are sort of on the coal face. But I just I think it's very possible you won't see any proper organised cricket in the UK this year outside of uh, people with very deep pockets. Well, that uh, is a bit of a negative way to finish this week's <laughs> Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. Um, I suppose a positive, though, Jared, before uh, I let you go. The Dive, a new show taking place on Talk Sport 8 until 9 on Sunday evening. That's certainly something to stay in and, and listen to. We'll uh, be following the fortunes of that show over the next few weeks, that's for sure. Um, and plenty more to come on the Cricket Collective as well. Next week's show will be hosted by Neil Manthorpe in conversation with the former England uh, captain Michael Atherton and uh, Sky Sports 
pundit and the Times cricket correspondent, and also Sean Pollock, uh, one of the great South African all-rounders, uh, was part of Sport 2's coverage in South Africa as well. So uh, feel free to uh, rejoin us between 6 and 7 on Talk Sport 2 next Tuesday. Uh, but if you missed that or any of the episodes, then feel free to download or subscribe to the following on podcast feed. That's pretty much it for the show. Thanks for listening. This has been the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.